0: We are on the road that, that year in the summer of 1970 with Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin, wow. the Grateful Dead. Oh, Led Zeppelin. Partied with Led Zeppelin. <laughs> How can you forget? So, very tentatively, I, I dialed the uh, 213 area code, and uh, I said, uh, this is Jim Petrick. Is this really Sylvester Stallone? And he goes, hey, Jimbo, call me Sly. <laughs> you know so much about me. I can I know more than I know.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate weekly, no Twice weekly classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. And Paul Stevenson, thanks as always for hitting play. Yes, this is the first week I'll start releasing two shows per week instead of just one. Now this episode and every Monday will be the big interview show called Classic Rock Stories. And launching this Friday is gonna be side two. It's more of a magazine styled show that's gonna feature reoccurring guests, maybe ones we've already had on the main show before. We're gonna have like some managers, we'll have authors, we've got quizzes, news, and much more on there as well. It's gonna be packed with classic rock. Content, so please look out for that. But back to this show then. And I was delighted to speak to this musician, singer, and songwriter who's been involved in so many iconic groups, albums, and songs. He's won awards and is still very much in demand working with some big names today. And as you can imagine, he's got a heck of a lot of incredible stories to tell. You're going to hear about what he thought about partying with Led Zeppelin in their Pentel suite when he was just 19 years old, scoring a hit song at just 15, his brush with death, which led to the name of his best known group. The fateful call from Sylvester Stallone to write that song. You, you know that one, yep, yeah And so much more as well. Now, when I chatted to him on the video link, he was in his own studio with his guitar on his knee, so you can expect some songs to be played throughout this interview too. I hope you do enjoy listening to his stories as much as I did. Here is the wonderful Jim Peterick. I'm delighted to welcome to the Vintage Rock Pod a Grammy Award-winning, Oscar-nominated, multi-platinum-selling singer, songwriter, and musician whose career stretches near on 60 years. He's written chart-topping hips for himself, his band, many other incredible artists as well, and one of the most recognizable songs in movie history, In the Eye of the Tiger. It's a pleasure of mine to welcome to Vintage Rock Pod the great Jim Peterick. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Oh, it's Uh, a pleasure.
0: all, All good, man. I'm in the studio here. This is where I live, basically, so uh, <laughs> might as well just stay here.
1: Absolutely. Well, you're putting my studio to shame, that's all I can say.
0: <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but uh, this is where uh, I may make all the records. And then Larry, uh, who you met, uh, mm-hmm. is my engineer and also a member of the Ides of March, and who have now been together for something like 58 years. Oh, so, uh, you know, he uh, he's like my brother. <laughs> you know from a different mother known him since uh, third grade so
1: oh man anyway, that's incredible all good. absolutely incredible now i'm looking forward to, to hearing your stories i read your autobiography i think it came out in 2014 or something like that through the eye of the tiger so i'm looking forward to hearing some of those stories but before we start i mean in terms of being in your studio and songwriting i mean how many songs do you think you've written over your, over your career ballpark oh one song
0: and then I've rewritten it about 15,000 times. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's a good answer.
0: (laughs) I I don't know, really. I I don't know. It's probably about 10,000 songs that have been actually uh, copyrighted, copywritten and published, and and about, I would say, 1,000 that have been released and have made some kind of mark. Uh, So, yeah, I'm I'm one of those guys that writes almost every day. Uh, and I can't say they're all great songs, but
1: you know, out of a hundred, maybe there's one or two that
0: are really something special. And that's a decent
1: ratio. If you, if you're doing 10,000 at a time, I mean, tell, tell you about that. Um, <laughs> let's go back to the very beginning then, uh, Jim. I mean, many of us, when we're teenagers, we get in, in bands with, with our friends from school and things like that. I certainly did. And we, we played, I think a local pub was the best we got to, but at 15, you were in the Billboard chart. That's just incredible.
0: Yeah, you know, it didn't seem that incredible at the time. It's it just <laughs> what, what we did, and hey, look, we're on the Billboard charts. You know, <laughs> looking back at it, you know, it's absolutely incredible. And uh, we took it in stride. You know, of course, the song was called You Wouldn't Listen and it had that riff. You know, I had my nice. Fender Jazz Master, and uh, Larry was playing rhythm and guitar, and Mike and Bob, I mean, those four guys are still together after 58 years, but we went in the studio, Sound Studios on Michigan Avenue in Chicago, and uh, we knocked it off. And guess what? Parrot Records picked it, picked it up, and we were label mates of you know Engelbert Humperdinck and Tom Jones and uh, Hedgehoppers Anonymous, <laughs> <laughs> which you've never heard of, but. Uh, you know, the, the zombies were on Parrot, and we were yeah. we were like the only band that wasn't from England, right? But we had these long-haired wigs, and when <laughs> the, the brass came in from England, uh, they thought we were from England, so we had to put on English accents. Oh, no way. <laughs> and we had the worst accents in the world. Uh, so a lot of funny stuff there, but uh, yeah, to be touring at age 15... We put all of our equipment on, on a train and went to Florida and played with the what became the Allman Brothers. At the time, they were called the Almond Joys. And,
1: you know, they were amazing. And we learned so much from from playing with them. Absolutely phenomenal. And then it kind of just a couple of years later, you had the, not just a Billboard charting song. You had a number one, didn't you? And didn't you write this song to to try and win your girlfriend back or something like that?
0: Exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, yeah, I fell in love with this girl when I was 17. She was 15, and um, one day she said, you know, Jim, I want to try dating other guys. You're my first date, you know. I go And I was so depressed, you know, and uh, we were on the road, and I, I just was playing the blues. And the guys are going hey, come on, snap out of it, Jim. You, you know, life goes on. I said, well, not for me, you know. Um, and one day, the same girl starts calling me up for rides because I had a cool car. I had a 1964 Plymouth <laughs> Valiant. And uh, she said, this isn't a date, Jim, but can you take me to modeling school? Uh, okay. Well, that happened week after week. Finally, I said to myself, all I am is your vehicle, baby. And that sounded like a pretty catchy word, vehicle. And uh, yeah. I, I thought of this riff, ba-da-ba-ba-da, bada, you know, and i like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Anyway, the band, we learned it. I went to Larry's house where we rehearsed. I showed the band the song, came up with the brass parts. It came out once in number one. We we're on the road that year in the summer of 1970 with Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin, wow. the Grateful Dead, uh, Allman Brothers again, and so many others. And living the dream, you know, we were just, oh, Led Zeppelin. You know, we partied with. How can you forget? (laughs) You know, and of course, the kind of party that we were used to, it was like, you know, uh, birthday cake and soda. Well, this party wasn't (laughs) quite the same in their penthouse suite at the Hyatt House in, uh, in Winnipeg. But we learned really quick what their kind of partying was all about. And we weren't really comfortable with it. So we went up to Robert Plant and says, well, thank you very much, Robert, but we're leaving. <laughs> we got out of there and we went across the street and had donuts, Dunkin' Donuts. That was, that was our comfort zone. I mean, we were 19 years old. You know, what did we know?
1: Incredible stuff, incredible And like you said, you guys are still together near on 60 years later. I mean, so what is it, what, what is it about the chemistry within that band that's, that's kept you going for so long? And obviously you've been in different bands since, but what is it that, that still holds you all together? Well, that's a,
0: it's a brotherhood, you know, it's more than a band, it's a friendship, it's the world's greatest bowling league, uh, it's, it's everything. Uh, we, we never really fight, if we fight we work it out, you know. Uh, we're like brothers, more than a, a group really, it's a band of brothers. And I think that's what kept us up, uh, together. And everybody has their job, you know, I'm the songwriter, uh, Larry's the, the technical, the engineer guy, Mike Borch takes care of the bookings. Bob Berglund does all the the, uh, the the books and the taxes. And we're like a little corporation, you know. If, if America was run as well as the Ides of March, it would be a great country. <laughs> but
1: it, we, we love each other and uh, it's been so much fun. Maybe the four of you should run for president. There you go. Uh, <laughs> we're thinking of it. <laughs> yeah, indeed. indeed. Um, and then just, again, touching on some of your stories that I read in your book, I mean – um. There was one fateful moment, wasn't it? You worked with a guy, Bill Chase, and um, Mm. he sadly passed away and some of his band as well in a plane crash, and it was a plane journey that you were meant to be on as well, wasn't it?
0: Hence the uh, name Survivor. Uh, And, uh, yeah, I was supposed to be on that plane. uh, Bill was doing a uh, kind of a tour uh, of radio station shows, and um, I was supposed to be on that plane, and it was the same plane that the Ides of March used to charter, Same pilot, Dirty Dan, uh, as we called him. And uh, I wasn't able to go that weekend to those shows. And uh, a week, a a few days later, we found out that that plane had gone down. And uh, I was so mixed emotions, so sad, that Bill and practically his whole band called Chase went down, but I was so glad I wasn't on that plane. It was a, a
1: very con- conflicted kind of a feeling of, you know, those two emotions. Very understandable. And again, you had, uh, you're on tour, I think it was with Boston and Hart as well, and you ended up in hospital, didn't you?
0: I did. Um, got pneumonia, uh, just, you know, singing when I shouldn't have been singing. I had a cold and I just kept singing. And ended up in the hospital with double pneumonia. And uh, it was a very pivotal moment, though, because, the, you know, like I said, through the haze of codeine that they were giving <laughs> me and the, the pretty nurses beating on my chest, <laughs> I had delusions of grandeur. And I said to myself, I'm going to put together the world's greatest rock band. Uh, and I started writing names down Frankie Sullivan was with uh, a group called Mariah and United Artists that I had the pleasure of writing songs for because mm-hmm. their manager, Bob Destacchi used to manage the Ides of March. So wrote him the Dave Bickler. I used to sing jingles with Dave Bickler, oh. look out for the bull, look out for the Schlitz malt liquor bull, you know, <laughs> and uh, we'd be rolling our eyes and making a lot of money. <laughs> uh, but Dave was a great guy uh, and uh, a great singer. Uh, in fact, uh, on my solo album uh, called Don't Fight the Feeling on Epic that came out in seventy six. There was a song on there called Let There Be Song and near the end Dave came in and started doing these wailing parts at the end. That was the first uh documented uh Dave Bickler on it, one of the Jim Peter's tracks. Oh, Nobody knows that. But uh wrote him down and then I wrote down uh Gary Smith and Dennis Johnson who are the uh, rhythm section of the group Chase, as that we talked about earlier, they were not on that plane. Uh, they were out of the band by the time that plane went down. I'm, I'm sure they were fe- feeling very fortunate about that. And um, so that w- it was that was my dream band. And uh, when I got well enough, you know, I called up Frankie. He, he came over. I was really impressed because he sat down at my kitchen table and started going. that's cool how did you learn somewhere in america and somewhere in america and he goes well i was at all your shows all, <laughs> all the jim peter goes and I, I remember this blonde kid who was always in the audience he kind of looked like peter frampton well he looked like whoever was happening that yeah. day he went with all different kind of hairstyles all the way to uh, eric clapton but he was just a really a great guitar player and uh, so we sat around the kitchen table and decided well let's let's called Dave Bickler over and let's call Gary and Dennis, and suddenly we had a band. Uh, and John Colladner of of, of uh, the, the record yeah. company came came in. At the time he was with Epic, I believe. I don't know. He switched to no, he was with Atlantic. Anyway, he came in and heard us play, and uh, we played "Summer in America." He had already heard that, and he goes, "Do you have anything new?" And I, and I said, "Yeah, we do have one. It's called 2020." Two days before that, I begged the band to learn this song. And Frankie's like, ah, we got enough songs, you know. No, you got we got to learn this song. So we played uh, John Colander tw- 2020, and he demanded we play it five more times. He absolutely flipped. That song got us signed, that song. And he took us all to Nick's Fish Market and wined and dined us, and uh, we were... In a pretty good mood
1: i bet you were i bet you were and just talking about songs and and some being passed on i mean one of the songs that you wrote that ended up being a hit for somebody else without you even knowing about it originally was rocking into the night wasn't it you tell us about that one yeah uh i'd rather not talk about that (laughs) i i will but
0: yeah you know this was like one of our spotlight songs when we played live rocking into the night people would go nuts and when we recorded our first album for Ron Nevison, the great producer who also did uh, Jefferson Starship and Led Zeppelin and nobody big, <laughs> you know, Ron was a, just a great producer. And at the end of the day, he said, I don't want you to put uh, rocking into the night on, on the album. And we we're like mystified. And he said, it's really not you guys. It's, it's too Southern, It's too kind of Southern rock, you know, it doesn't fit the rest of the album. And we were kind of, Kind of devastated, but Ron was God, you know, pretty much. Well, unbeknown to us, John Colander pilfered a, a cassette tape of Rocket Into the Night, just a rough mix, and gave it to uh, a Spectre, uh, not Phil Spectre, a different <laughs> Spectre, Mark Spectre. Uh, Mark Spectre was actually sane, but uh, <laughs> Mark Spectre um, loved the song, and 38 Special was looking for a single for their second album and they they cut the shit out of it. It, it was just an amazing version. We didn't, we never heard it though until we were actually driving uh, down the street and we hear New from 38 Special and we hear our song, Rockin' Into the Night. And I was like, again, conflicted. Really nice to hear our song, but Frankie was livid that they had put it out and it, it caused conflict in the band So um, it wasn't a pleasant moment, but it did cement my relationship with 38 Special. And for the next album, Kaladner had them fly to Chicago, uh, Jeff Carlisi and Don Barnes. And we sat around that same kitchen table, and uh, Don Barnes goes, I said, anybody got any titles? You know, that's one way to start a song. And, and, And Don goes, well, I got a title. And I said, what is it? He goes, Hold On Loosely. I said, wow, yeah, but don't let go. <laughs> and suddenly I was thinking of, of my uh, my future wife, Karen, and how she dumped me, right? So that was Christopher the Mill. And then Jeff Carlisi goes, well, I got a riff. And I said, well, let's hear it. And he goes, well, <laughs> I said, yeah, that'll work, you know. And... Uh, so I was kind of playing Alchemist in the room and I was taking that riff and that idea and suddenly, you know I, I came up with you see it all around you, good loving gone bad. And usually it's too late when you realize what you had. You know, and like, we got moving, man. And by the end of the day, we had a song Send it to Mark Specter. He says, you guys have a number one record. <laughs> well, it, it wasn't number one, but it did damn well. And it,
1: it really launched 38 Special into the stratosphere. Absolutely. And speaking of launching into the stratosphere, this is a story that you've told a gazillion times, I'm sure, already. And uh, it, just in case there's one person on this planet that hasn't heard it, then the Eye of the Tiger story. I mean, it, it, Sylvester Stallone is a huge movie star. You get home one day and there on your answer machine is a message that you think is a prank.
0: I thought it was a prank. You know, there was two other messages: my sister, my buddy, and then, "Hey, yo, Jim, that's a nice answering machine you got there. It's uh, Sylvester Stallone. Give me a call." And I'm going and I kept sorting the mail, and I said, "That's a joke. It's got to be a joke. He must have a secretary. He must, you know, have a manager, whatever." Yes. And my dear wife Karen says, "Who is that?" I said, oh, "Some joker pretending to be Stallone." She goes, you better listen again. We listened together, and she says, give him a call right now. <laughs> so very tentatively, I, I dialed the uh, 213 area code, and uh, I said, uh, this is Jim Peterick. Is this really Sylvester Stallone? He goes, hey, Jimbo, call me Sly. You know? <laughs> Here's me, kid from Berwin, Illinois, uh, very blown away. I said, Really? Yeah, yeah. I love your song. You know, it's it's. I want that to be. I want you to write me a song that's going to outlive you and me. By this time, I was comfortable. I said, "No problem, Slide." That easy. You yeah. Know. <laughs> I want something for the kids. Something with a pulse. And man, I was just so excited. I'm going to send you a rough cut of the a movie, and I want you to write a song that's going to outlive you and me. I said, "No problem, Slide." So uh, two days later, FedEx arrives and a big beta, Betamax uh, Pro cassette <laughs> arrives. It's like huge. I go out and rent a Betamax Pro machine, put it on that same kitchen table. And uh, we see Mr. T rising up and we see you know Stallone kind of getting soft and doing master charge commercials. And, uh, and that's all going on. And in the background, the music pop, another one bites the dust, oh, and another one. And what the heck's going on? I called Sly, I said, hey, Sly, what's going on here? You got a song. <laughs> oh, yeah, Queen wouldn't let us use the song, wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't give us the publishing. Thank you, Queen, you know. <laughs> and uh, so that explained that. And then we really got down and, and, and heard that phrase in the movie rocky you're losing the eye of the tiger there the eye of the tiger we got our title then we just had to flesh out the story we watched that whole movie a few times and and all about the you know the feeling of rising up back on the street did my time took my chances went the distance now i'm back on my feet just a man in his will to survive and i'm, I'm jogging down i was a jogger <laughs> still am around the neighborhood so many times. I had my tape recorder. So many times it happens too fast. You trade your passion for glory. Don't lose your grip on the dreams of the past. You must fight just to keep them alive. It's the eye of the tiger. It's the thrill of the fight, rising up to the challenge of your rival. And the last known survivor stalks his prey in the night. And he's watching us all with the eye of the tiger. And I, man, I said, we got it. We got it. Went in the studio called Mark Joubet and Stephan Ellis. By that time, that, that was our great rhythm section. Yeah. We were very responsible for that unbelievably strong backbeat and, and plod, as I call it. And we cut the song in two, two takes and uh, Frankie mixed it. We sent it to Stallone and said, you really did it. You wrote a song that's gonna outlive you and me. And I laughed, but you know what, it's getting to that point. <laughs> I just keep knocking on wood that I'm, I'm going uh, uh, to uh, live another day because um, I feel great and all that, but some t- songs like that are timeless. And uh, we're very fortunate to have one of those.
1: Absolutely. And as you say, timeless. It just went absolutely crazy all over the world, didn't it? Number one everywhere, as we said. You won so many awards for it. It was just incredible. Yeah, it, it was uh,
0: really a trip. Um, our first tour was with REO Speedwagon. Uh, it was managed by the same managers, uh, you know, so it was it was a good fit. And uh, Kron, uh, Kevin Cronin will argue at, at this point, but we were, I think we were responsible for a lot of the ticket sales in some of those shows because <laughs> Tiger was just so huge. I mean, they had a great reputation too,
1: but we we didn't hurt sales. I'll tell you that. Absolutely, and so what happened next then for for Rocky Ford? Did did Sly come to you and say, look, let's let's recreate the magic, let's do it again?
0: Yeah, um, you know, Frankie and I were sitting around the pool uh, on tour with probably still REO. It was like the forever tour. (laughs) Uh, By this time, we had gotten a new lead singer. Uh, Dave Bickler left the band and we got Jimmy Jameson, who was just an amazing singer. We're sitting around the pool and uh, Stallone calls and says well can you guys do it again and it's no problem he sent us the uh the script you know Frank and i read the script and then we took a, a Wurlitzer piano out of the truck put it in our suite the next day and just jammed out burning heart you know one day and uh when we took a break from the tour got together with uh well, the band and Jimmy Jameson and, and Larry was part of the, the recording of that, that song. And um, Jameson just knocked it out of the park. And some people, it's their favorite Rocky song. And it's certainly uh, one
1: of my favorites. Yeah, absolutely. It's brilliant. I mean, I could sit and speak to you for ages, Jim, honestly, but let's, let's skip on it a little bit as well. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about what you did with uh, Dennis DeYoung recently? Because you worked with him, didn't you? Obviously, Dennis from Stigs uh, sure
0: did, and Dennis. Formerly of Sticks. Yes, sorry. Uh, I believe it's the, the legal line. Mm. But uh, <laughs> Dennis is great. He literally lives a block and a half from me here, ah. and uh, it's, it's it was very convenient, you know, to to write songs together. He has a studio in, in his house. I have one in mine, and we would kind of go back and forth with tapes and tapes, as they used to call them, <laughs> digital files. And uh, I'll tell you. <clears throat> it was a magic chemistry, you know, I was, we, Dennis really didn't want to do an album. I had to like beg him, it's time for a new Dennis DeYoung album. He said, oh, you know, the, everything's changed. No one's going to buy it. You know, I did the best album in 09 and nobody bought it. And, you know, forget 09. People want Dennis DeYoung music. He finally bought it, you know, but where do we start, you know? And I went through a lot of his Uh, demo tapes, just snippets of songs. I go, Dennis, there's some great stuff here. Oh, no, that's just, no, I said, that's great stuff. So I was in Italy and uh, I was doing a show for Frontiers and um, with Pride of Lions, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was walking through a cemetery. I love to walk through cemeteries uh, because they're so peaceful. (laughs) No one bothers you. (laughs) And uh, I started writing this song called Run for the Roses. And um, by the time I got back, I put it on a little cassette. And I, um, When I got home, I, I sent it to Dennis. I sent the idea to Dennis and he goes, now we can start the album. We have the first song. And that broke the floodgates open and he was very instrumental in the lyrics of Run For The Roses. He, but all the music was pretty much on that cassette. And uh, we just got on a roll. And suddenly the songs that he had been working on years ago became valuable to him again. He just mm-hmm. needed a kick in the butt, you know? <laughs> and uh, th- that album came out, 2016, the first part, and it did great worldwide, and now we're getting ready, or he's getting ready to, to release part two, and uh, I have another four songs on that record, as we used to call them, and um, he is so fired up about his career again. It's so great to see a guy at 74, he just turned 74, I believe, and uh, he sounds like a kid
1: again. He's so excited. Wow, incredible stuff, incredible stuff. And, and just kind of to, to end then, Jimmy, um, it's, you're in your studio. You say you're working away. What is it you're actually doing right now? Right now? Oh, yeah. glad
0: you asked. I'm very excited <laughs> about this project. Uh, it's called Tigress, and it's yeah. female performers. It's for Frontiers. It's going to be coming out in the fall and i have everyone from kathy richardson of jefferson starship to uh, janet gardner of vixen and uh, so many great great singers some unknown that will soon be known and some like janet uh, and kathy well-known singers i'll tell you i'm blown away and i wrote material all specifically for females for this project and uh, at the end of the day, I've got 15 songs for different singers, different bass players, drummers, keyboard players. And it's called Tigris, and um, I'm so excited about this. It's been a whole new uh, muscle to flex, you know. Yeah. yeah. And um, so watch for that Tigris. So I'm doing that. I'm also writing with the group Chicago, as as is Larry. Uh, Robert Lamb and I are, are writing together, and that album will be out on BMG probably around uh, December. Um, and Chicago is one of my all-time favorite bands, so, I mean, mm-hmm. it was just natural that, that Robert and I should hook up and start writing. And then Brian Wilson, uh, we're nice. writing again with Joe Thomas and Larry and myself. That was the team that wrote uh, That's Why God Made the Radio and Isn't It Time, and working on a new uh, Brian album
1: incredible Just all these names that you throw around here i mean just touching quickly on tigress that sounds like a fascinating project so do you write obviously you said you've written the songs maybe 12 15 or whatever it is do you write specifically for the vocalist or do you kind of match the vocalist to the song or how do you work with them
0: yeah um well with kathy i definitely match the song with the vocal but sometimes you just write a song and then you find who would Fit best for it. Yeah, it's it's more like that. Although I will say uh, that with the Janet Gardner song, uh, I wrote it specifically with her voice in mind. I listened to a bunch of uh, Vixen, and then and then I wrote it. And oh my God, would
1: you hear it? She just <laughs> nailed it. What a voice! Oh. Yeah, absolutely. And what sort of genre are we talking, are we talking rock? Is it kind of ballads? What, is it a mix of everything? It's, it's really rock. It's re- something that will appeal to uh,
0: the Survivor fans, to the Alliance fans. Uh, I didn't go too far afield from that. You know, mm-hmm. There's a ballad on there that's very, very different from all of that. But overall, it's, it's Peter Rick Rock. You know, it's, it's what I do and
1: what I like the best incredible incredible well it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you jim and i wish you all the best and i'm really looking forward to hearing this uh, new album the tigress works it sounds fantastic
0: can't wait for you to hear it i'll make sure you hear it Th- thanks so much it's been an honor uh, you know so much about me i can know <laughs> more than i know but uh i i appreciate that paul so thank you stay well and god bless
1: What a wonderful showman he is, and what a life he's led as well. I mean, those stories are just the tip of the iceberg of a near 60-year career. Fantastic stuff. Now, if you love hearing classic rock stories, then hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're listening to this on right now to make sure you don't miss any future guests. And over the next few weeks, I've got some great stories coming your way, from Woodstock to the pioneers of the UK punk scene and much, much more as well. Plus, you can check out some of the previous guests, and we've had some incredible stories told throughout the series so far. Right, now is the time on the show, though, where we do a top five rundown. It's where I give you my favourite five songs of a certain band relating to the main interview. So today's act is going to be Survivor. This is my personal choice, Okay, I'm not trying to claim that it's the definitive list. It's just the songs that I like the best. So here you go. The top five Survivor songs according to Vintage Rock Pod. At five is a song from their second album, Premonition, from 1981. It's the age-old story of the rich girl and the not-rich boy. Uh, there's a big guitar in there, there's the steering Dave Bickler vocal and the sing-along chorus too. At number five is Poor Man's Son. For my choice at number four is a track that went top 20 on the Billboard chart in 1982. It opens with an ominous keyboard, but with that familiar survivor beat and big choruses there. Fast and loud, young and proud. At four is American Heartbeat. For me these next three were tricky to put into order but right now I've gone for this because I have to At three is the follow-up it's uh, another huge single top five in many countries around the world including the UK in 1985 another pounding Survivor classic from the Rocky IV soundtrack and number three for me is Burning Heart And number two is a track I've always been a big fan of it was the lead single from the band's Vital Signs album the first album with Jimmy Jameson it's got a killer hook for a bridge before the chorus as well I can feel you tremble when we touch. And number two for me is I Can't Hold Back. And at number one is the group's big one. I could play hipster and move it down the list, but let's be real, it's an absolute anthem for a reason. Everything about this song is killer, no filler with the intro, it's the riffs, it's the vocals, everything is nailed. The number one Survivor song, according to Vintage Rock Pod, has to be the iconic Eye of the Tiger. So there you go, my favourite top five songs from Survivor. There's bound to be songs I've missed off that that you think should be there. Not many of the ballads make my list, to be honest. I was a bit of a fan of the driving rock tracks, but songs like High On You, The Search Is Over, Is This Love, They All Deserve A Mention. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that list, and uh, I'll give you a shout-out on the next show as well where do you agree where do you disagree drop me an email vintagerockpod at gmail.com or you can message me on the socials just search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube as well all that sort of stuff gives a like and a follow on there as well plus don't forget to sign up to become a VRP VIP and you'll receive our once a week newsletter where you find out first about future guests and you get your chance to put a question to them too and there's lots of other interesting things that I don't always get time to share with you on the podcast just go to my website vintagerockpod.com fill in the form on that first page it's free doesn't cost you anything and i won't be passing on your data and you're only ever going to get one email a week i promise you and with that episode 27 is over don't forget to check out the new Vintage Rock Pod Side 2 that's going to be released each Friday it's going to be on this feed so you don't need to go looking for anything else it'll still appear if you just refresh Uh, there's going to be loads of classic rock content on there I've got interviews lined up with a host of really interesting people for you I've got some great guests like people that maybe I've already interviewed before on the long form show maybe catching up on their new stuff I've got festival organisers I've got authors writing new books about classic rock stuff that we want to know about we've got news in there as well we've got some quizzes too and there's much much more going on so it's definitely worth checking it out hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're listening to this on and make sure you don't miss anything until the next episode then remember if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock just tell them my music is better than yours take care